0: Hello and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Jason Goodger, commissioning editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. It was recently reported that China has entered an era of negative population growth after demographic statistics revealed a drop in numbers for the first time since 1961. And they're not alone. Many other countries across the world are also experiencing dramatic falls in birth rates. This has led some researchers to suggest that many countries are facing a so-called demographic time bomb that will leave them with an ageing population and a shortfall of people of working age. We speak to Professor Jane Falkingham of the University of Southampton's Centre for Research on Ageing. She tells us more about the world's ageing population, how we've reached this point and what we can do to lessen its impact. So China's now entered a period of negative population growth for the first time in 60 years. And this has led to many commentators saying that they're facing something called a demographic time bomb. So you hear this term quite a lot. But let's start with saying, what exactly does that mean?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Uh, People have used the demographic time bomb to talk about the ageing of the population. So the ageing of the population has come about really because of of, of fantastic human successes. So we've seen rising life expectancy and falling fertility rates. Fertility rates means the number of children that people have. And what this uh, means is that During the time period where we're moving from having low uh, life expectancy and high numbers of children to having high life expectancy and low numbers of children, we're seeing a change in the shape of our populations in terms of the age structure, which means we're having more older people in the population and fewer people of working age. So the term uh, demographic time bomb has really emerged uh, over the last 20 to 30 years uh, when people have been looking at the ratio of old people to young people in populations. And of course, it's not just China that that's happening. It's happening everywhere in the world. But China is an extreme version of uh, population ageing. Yeah, so you mentioned that that, um,
0: obviously China's got a a kind of deep history with this sort of thing because they had the... Not so long ago, I think less than 10 years ago, they stopped the one-child policy. They're now they're in, trying to have this, more children, yeah. Yes, which is is kind of crazy.
1: Well, um, it's that's really why China is going through this. Uh, they're going through what we call the demographic transition really, really rapidly. In uh, demography or study of populations, I'm a professor of demography, we look at how... Things like changes in the the death rate and changes in the birth rate impact on populations. And all countries in the world are actually going through this this, uh, demographic transition at the moment. But it happened in China much, much faster than anywhere else, precisely because of uh, their very draconian family planning policies. So in the late 1970s, they had a policy called Fewer Later Longer which meant have fewer children, have them later, and leave a longer interval in between uh, the children you have. And then in 1980, they actually shifted to the one-child policy. Now, if you think about two adults, and they only have one child, and then that one child marries a one child, and they have one child, that eventually means that that One child has two parents and four grandparents, but they also have no cousins and no aunts and uncles. So it's a real, it means that you've, you've moved very dramatically uh, to a change in your family structure. And interestingly enough, I did some research in the 1980s and sat down with some Chinese uh, demographers and said to them, if you carry on with this policy, this is what's going to happen. At the time, uh, I think the political expediency in the country was uh, they wanted to reduce their well their population growth rate. And, of course, at global level, we've also been looking at, at global population growth and saying, oh, can we afford to feed a world of 10 billion, 12 billion? And so we've been kind of looking at, at ways to um, slow down world population growth, and China did it, but they did it in a very dramatic way. Uh, without thinking about the medium- to long-term consequences. And now they're trying to encourage their population to have more children. But, of course, uh, the world's moved on, very high rents. Shanghai is very crowded, uh, lo- rents are high, and, and, and people don't really want to have uh, lots of children.
0: Yeah, so it's weird, Luke, because running contrary to this fact, we've recently just passed 8 billion inhabitants on planet Earth you know, so what's the situation globally? You know, birth rates are going down here and there, they're going up, uh, you know, what's what's the, the global situation? Can we even say anything about that?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So the United Nations actually does really good population forecasts and they suggested that we, we reach the 8 billion citizen, I think, towards the end of November last year. But if you unpack that, and, and look at uh, trends across the globe, I mean, it's not just China which has a reducing population. Many countries in Europe also have a declining population. And I think that the United Nations forecast that we will probably end up at the end of this century with about 10, 10.5 billion people, but then we'll start to have a, a population decline globally But of course, whilst that's all happening, um, you're you're absolutely right. It's different in different parts of the world. Really, the two main areas of the world which have still rapidly growing populations are the Middle East and sub-Saharan Africa. So, um, most other areas of the world now actually either have slowing down population growth or even negative population growth. So, in order for us to reproduce ourselves a man and a woman need to have on average 2.1 children you need the extra 0.1 to make sure you get to adulthood yourself and in the UK we've been having our total fertility rate which is the average number of children that a woman would give birth to if she gave birth According to the average, um, our total fertility rates have been much lower than two point one since the nineteen sixties. So, uh, currently, we have one point eight, around one point eight children. Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, that's something I didn't know. But how about you? You mentioned there about population growth, and so a lot of people are saying that the the populace of India is going to overtake China in in the next couple of decades to be become the most populated
1: country in the world. Yeah, not the next couple of decades. I think it's the next couple of years, actually. And it may well already have done so. so um, but at the moment, the populations of India and China are very close. And it's likely that um, India will overtake China in the next couple of years. And interestingly, though, again, life expectancy in India is in, in improving and fertility is falling. But there are differences between the north and south
0: right so th- this is comes to the question as of longevity and of developing countries like is it inevitable once a country reaches a certain degree of development that the population be- begins to age and then eventually that begins to decline i know that's a complicated question
1: yeah yeah no uh, well it's precisely exactly the sort of thing that we're, we're looking at now and i i think Yes. I think that um, as you reach a certain level of development, then things like public health and nutrition improve and and life expectancy rises. Uh, The things that uh, determine whether people have children are slightly more complicated. And so actually you can see in, in parts of Africa now, which are starting to develop, they still are having large numbers of children. But as you the society begins to think about education and the costs of children start to rise then people start to uh, to adjust their their childbearing behavior and of course if more children are living to adulthood then then you'll you'll slowly adjust uh, if a country has high infant mortality then people have a lot of children because they want some of them to survive so they go hand in hand with each other. It's not necessarily the case that we think that the world population will decline. I think rather it will level out. So we, we happen to be alive at an amazing time really in human history where we're going through this transition. And by um, the 22nd century or 23rd century, we'll be very much used to having populations where you've got Quite a lot of old people and uh, less young people, but of course, young people become old people. So we're moving from populations where the age structure looks like a pyramid, where there's more people at the of young ages and fewer people of older ages, to an age structure where it looks more like a tower block. So we're moving from a world of a population pyramid, which I think people who studied geography often heard about these population pyramids. To, to more of a rectangular shape and this is just a transition but we've got to find a way as a society to adapt to that transition so is it a time bomb probably not but it's it's definitely going to cause a disruption to the way we do things so we have to think about if we're all living longer Maybe uh, we we organise our life course a bit differently, you know, and we we work a bit longer, but maybe not full time. Maybe in, in different ways. Um, it's quite um, it's quite thought provoking what the world's going to look like at the end of this century, and 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 how the life course is going to change.
0: Yeah, certainly. I really like your your tower block versus pyramid analogy because. You know, in reading this, uh, I think the UN have said that in the, sometime in the 2080s, the population of the Earth is actually going to start declining. You, you don't think so?
1: Well, I think it will probably take until the end of this century. I think a lot depends. A lot depends on what happens to fertility rates in sub-Saharan Africa. That's the big question. So what what
0: do we know about that? Like um, sub-Saharan Africa, and but everyone here is saying like uh, we're having fewer children. Our physical fatality rate, not the statistical one, the physical one is declining in the Western world. We're less able to make children less willing.
1: Yeah, and some people actually are making a, a decision not to have children either for um, economic reasons or actually for ideological reasons in terms of c- climate change, for example. In Africa, as I said earlier, it, it's a complicated picture. I mean, uh, there are parts of Africa which still have relatively high infant mortality rates. So we have to, to take that into account. And I think there are also so- social and cultural Differences in, in how children are valued and the meaning of children. So, for example, according to the latest UN data, uh, Uganda, for example, they're they're still having five children uh, per woman, but in Kenya, the fertility rate is now falling and it's about three and a half. So, as I say, I, I think it's one of the interesting questions as to what's going to happen, and of course, with high fertility rates. And if mortality continues to improve, that means that the population of uh, countries such as Nigeria and Uganda are going to be growing quite rapidly, which then does link to climate change because these are uh, are countries in the world which are being more affected by climate change than than, uh, perhaps uh, we are in the UK. So where are these people going to live? And there are going to be some interesting population movements, I think, in the next 50 years.
0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid is built for the best of both worlds. For the city buzz. For the call of the wild. For finding solitude. For sharing memories. For day trips and for far-roaming adventures. Because with gas and electric capability, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe inspires you to explore more to explore it all. Tap the banner to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Yeah, this is like such a a, a complicated issue, obviously. Corresponding with this, with birth rates, we, we also have life expectancy going up because of better medicine, better healthcare and things. So, What are we going to do because we're all getting older obviously but our population is is seems to me i don't know if i'm wrong seems to be skewing to be older like as the birth rate falls there are more older people so this is another thing that we have to consider isn't it
1: yeah absolutely so uh, i think one of the critical things is is um whether we're aging healthily or not and and um and, and there is evidence that we are pushing up the age at which um, chronic diseases kick in and where there, um, there is a high risk of mortality. But, of course, that's um, not – I'm talking in general terms rather than in specific terms because different, different groups of people suffer from different chronic diseases – but that's one of the key things is, are we ageing healthy? And if we are, then perhaps we should be thinking about the divisions between work and retirement and, and other things. Um, I think there was an interesting paper from the Resolution Foundation last week looking at whether we should have different retirement ages in different parts of the UK, reflecting differences in life expectancy. So there's lots, there's lots to think about, but in general – I would say the challenge for all of us is we are living in an ageing society So we and, and we can't um, change it. It's an inevitable consequence of the demographic changes that we're seeing. So we have to think about how we adapt society to take that into account. And when I say society, I mean all aspects, work, home,
0: leisure. I mean, I think this is the fascinating and most interesting and most personal thing that people are going to think about. So, for example, some provinces in China have been offering, for example, financial incentives to couples to have a second, third child, despite their previous history. I mean, that that seems a bit crazy. I mean, is there any evidence of, of that kind of policy
1: working? I think that the evidence is, is very mixed and pretty weak, actually, that people don't tend to have children for financial reasons. So I think that um, there may be at the margins some people who will go on. To, if they've wanted to have a second child anyway, then it will make it might bring it forward, might encourage them to do so. But I think the evidence certainly the evidence from China that I've seen recently is that it's not having a very big impact.
0: So there was recently I can't remember who it was, but some, let's say, politician said um taxing the childless in the UK could help. What 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 are your opinions on that?
1: Yeah, so we're jumping we're jumping now from China to the to the UK, um, and I, I do recall that um, that interesting um, <laughs> idea, I, and I think that there that was in the context of of, of long term care, and of course I would say that um, the taxes of the childless have gone to to pay for the education of the children of people who've had children so it's not it's not as straightforward as the um as that particular politician um <laughs> so probably um and and, and we know from uh, some evidence some research that some of our economist colleagues have done that the wages of women who don't have children are higher than the wages of women who do as a, a Penalty to childbirth, so those childless women have already been paying higher taxes on their higher earnings. Interesting proposition. Probably not one that I would support without digging into it a little bit more. It's it's always more complicated.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. This this, this sort of thing is is such a such a uh, thorny like problem. You know, it's 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 so difficult. Thankfully, it's not for me to figure out. So do you think, like, just governments making more, what would you call them, family-friendly policies, such as money to cover nurseries, you know, I know from, not me personally, but from my friends, I know that, you know, they've really struggled with with finding the money to to do that. Do you think
1: that could help? Yeah, there is is evidence uh, that countries which have family-friendly policies also have higher birth rates. And the classic example is actually some of the Scandinavian countries. So they have the highest fertility rates in Europe at, at the moment. And they also have the um, the most family-friendly policies, both in terms of thinking around childcare, but also parental leave and, and shared parental leave uh, between um, the father and the mother. I think all of these things um, do, do impact at the margins yes
0: so if we think about the the aging population we one of the big questions comes up with this shortfall in the younger workforce what's this going going to look like how are we going to solve this problem do you think um, is it is technology going to help us or is is it policy or something it's
1: a it's a classic um, academic answer it's always a little bit of everything isn't it but I think it, it definitely um, technology will play a role in terms of changing the productivity uh, per worker so we, at the moment we've actually seen productivity in the UK stalling if not falling and so we do need to uh, really understand what, what is going on there and, and and how we can reverse that and increase productivity thorny question in the UK, uh, particularly in the context of Brexit, is um, thinking about at a national or a regional level, of course, you can change the number of people you have at working age through migration policies. You can't do that globally, because globally, we don't have people migrating from Mars yet. Um, so, uh, So globally, the number of workers for older people in, in the world is, I mean, it is decreasing globally. So at the moment, I think we have around six people aged 20 to 64 for every one person aged 65. And by 2050, there'll be 3.5 people aged 20 to 64 for every person aged 65 globally. So that's a, a big challenge. And then your your toolkit has to start thinking about well how many of those 20 to 64 are working can we bring more of them into the workforce particularly women so in a lot of the world uh, particularly outside of europe uh, i'm thinking classically right now afghanistan is banning its women from working well you know bring them into the workforce make them economically active but also why do we stop working at 65 if we're going to live to 90? So I, I know the French are on strike at this, you know, trying to get the retirement age reduced. But um, so all of these things, I think, are, are, are things we're going to have to think about as a, as a society over the next 20 to 30 years.
0: Yeah. Well, on, I think um, hasn't there been talk recently that the retirement age is going to be raised to 68 to here in the uk like how do you feel about that is is that a good thing i think
1: it's it it's probably something we need to do to recognize the changes in life expectancy and and, and the issues we've been talking about and, and you know and our our politicians have been on the front foot with thinking this through because these population changes aren't a surprise i mean people someone who's going to be 65 this year was born 65 years ago so we could we can kind of work it out But there are some issues that not everybody has benefited from the improvements in health equally. So we do still see big differences in life expectancy by different social groups, by different occupational groups, by different ethnic groups in the UK. So I think going forward, we might need to be a bit more nuanced about the changes in retirement age because not everybody is going to actually live to 65 68 or, or live a long time after it
0: yeah that's a raised a big question with the nhs and or healthcare globally how do we take care if you know as people age they get ill how do we take care of them
1: Yeah, oh, we're back. Are we local or global? (laughs) I think uh, either way, I guess the challenges are still there. I mean, one of the key things I think is for us to be thinking much more proactively about informing people of how they can uh, improve their own health and reduce their risks of ill health as they move through the life course. So, um, so thinking about um, prevention. First and foremost, public health, uh, getting people to adapt more healthy behaviours, um, reduce drinkings. Yeah, so thinking about how we promote um, healthy living, get people moving more, that's the first thing. And then, of course, dealing with ill health. We have had amazing medical breakthroughs over the last hundred years, and we we'll probably still have some more going forward. So, like, by
0: way of summing up, you know, what do you think? Are, are you optimistic? that we're going to be able to cope with the, the issues that are caused by our ageing
1: population. You, you know, we can get there. I think I have to be optimistic. I think uh, the ageing of the population has come about because of the advances in, in um, so- human society. And I think we have, it's not going to be easy. We're going to have to, uh, have to think about how we rise to the challenge. It's gonna uh, probably m- it mean changing uh, the way we do things. So it's uh, we're not all gonna be able to to consume quite as much as we used to. We're not all gonna be able to retire as early as we want to. But then the life course is changing, so um, it's something to be celebrated that we're all, uh, we're living longer. We need to celebrate it and and try and find a way to get through it. <laughs>
0: That was the University of Southampton's Professor Jane Falkinham. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius, brought to you from the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. The current issue of BBC Science Focus is out now. Pick up a copy wherever you buy your favourite magazines or download a digital copy from your preferred app store. You can, of course, also find us online at sciencefocus.com. <laughs>